Shalom! Thank you for tuning in to Grace Assembly's Weekend Sermon. We are on the sermon series, Exodus 2, Settling Into the New Normal. The sermon title is, Fresh Provision. Be blessed as you hear God's Word. Those of you watching online, uh, I want you to know, Shalom, you're as much the church that is here on site. Amen? So, good to see all of you. Uh, this, yeah, instantly when Pastor Larry was mentioning about the baby dedication, right, he, he means actually those already who have babies, you know, because two weeks notice is too short to produce one, <laughs> so in case you're wondering. So, as I walked in this, this morning, I felt something new, you know, something new, and I, I couldn't place it. It's familiar, but it's also new. So, I've remarked to some people that I, I feel it's new. So, but uh, what, why is it new? It's, it's a new year. That's, that's right. But also, I think that's, that's new hope. That's a new peace. That's a new grace. That's a new strength. You know. That's going to come. And as Pastor Larry said, that's a new sermon series. So, which is not really completely new. It's a continuation of the series we just had, which was Exodus 1, Breaking the Circuit. Today, we're on to Exodus 2, Settling into the New Normal. You say, wait, wait. I thought we've, we've done with that, right? Because... Israel crossed the Red Sea. I thought that was the Exodus. Yeah, that was only up to Exodus 15. You've got 25 more chapters, just so you know. So this is about settling into the new normal. Why is this also important for us? You see, God did not just set the people free from slavery so that they can just wander around, you know, freely as free agents or secret agents. No, God wanted to prepare these people to enter into their promised land. He wanted to restore this chosen people to be his what? To be his images, to be his representatives to the nations. And so they were not quite ready yet because they just came out from a slave mentality. So there was a lot of training. In fact, this wilderness wandering is going to be their spiritual boot camp or more precisely, a spiritual reboot camp. You know, because they needed to unlearn many things so that they can relearn the new ways of a new God. Amen? So are you ready? So this process of settling into the new normal for us is a simple word. It's called discipleship. And all of us, getting safe is just the beginning, right? It's not the end. We've got this whole journey of discipleship where we learn how, uh, who this God is and how we are uh, to serve and worship this God. So Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, he says, now these things that happen to them, these precise things that we, are, we will talk about, this happened to them as an, an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now, this is very important. What, what we are going to read about, this, this story about the wandering uh, over 40 years, is an example for us. But it's not just an example, it's also for the instruction, meaning we can learn lessons by actually understanding the story without ourselves going through. Yeah, sometimes we need to go through those same lessons ourselves. But by and large, we can learn vicariously. We can learn and say, oh, that's what I'm going through now. They have gone through before us. And so there are instructions as well as examples for us. So the first lesson that we and they needed to learn was that God is their provider. And so our first message is fresh provision. So those of you... Online, you can type in fresh, okay, fresh provision. So God's method of training them, of uh, impressing this lesson that God is their provider was through a series of tests. How many of you like tests? Huh? No? 
Okay, what is A-R-T, R-R-T, F-E-T, P-E-T? What is the T? Test, right? It's like something, you know, we can't avoid nowadays. But it's also something that is very important. If you want to drive, you go for a driving. Correct, because you endanger life if you, if you don't know how to drive. If you want to fly, you go for a flying what? And I hope you pass with flying colors. You know? Because for us driving, we can only drive with driving colors. So we need tests. The test shows us whether we have actually mastered uh, the content that we're supposed to master before we can move on. All right? So the big idea for a sermon is this. Yahweh tests our faith to reveal our trust or the lack of in Him. You know? Yahweh tests our faith to reveal the trust or the lack of that we have in Him. Okay? So in this test centered, uh, sadly, on these three chapters, right, on uh, one thing that, that Israel knew how to do without even training. And it was on their grumbling. You know. They grumbled through from the end of chapter 15 all the way through chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. There was one thing they knew to do. So it, it means that the, you know, Yahweh's emerging nation had a lot to grumble. Some people, grumbling is their favorite pastime. Nah. But not for you, right? You never grumble, right? Singaporeans do not grumble, correct? Never complain, correct? Oh, maybe one thing you complain. Why no Wi-Fi, you know? Why the Wi-Fi is so weak? Why the signal is so weak? You know? So let me tell you this. Complaining and grumbling are usually symptoms of a deficient faith, you know? Grumbling, discontentment, complaining are symptoms of a deficiency in our faith. And so we need to learn these lessons as did Israel. So the first lesson that they needed to learn was this, at Mara and at Elim, you know, they needed to, to learn to trust Yahweh when he said that he was the Lord. I am the Lord, your healer. Exodus 15, 22 to 27. Those watching online, just type healer. God wants to be our healer. Verse 22, let's read. Eh? Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. Of that we are sure. You know? They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. So first thing you must realize that Moses spent 40 years in the desert, correct? So he, this was not new to him. But for Israel coming in to the desert, it was their first time living in an unknown. So there were certain fears. This water was one of them. So what did they need to, to learn about this? To trust. What did they need to learn about trust? Yeah. And all these things, these three episodes of grumbling had to do with food and drink. Okay, how many of you enjoyed your period of fasting and prayer? <laughs> any, anybody complain? Uh, grumble? It, it's okay, this message is for you. <laughs> okay, so they've been traveling three days now. Three days now, on the radius of three days. Out from the Red Sea. And they were desperate looking for a source of water. Right? Another source of water. And they came upon, they stumbled upon Mara and were so happy. Finally, water. Without water, you know, in the desert, it's, it's tough. But when they first tasted it, you know, it was terrible. It was undrinkable. It was bitter. And so they came to Moses. Say, Moses, 
you made us come here, right? We were happy at the Red Sea. So much water. Now you made us come here. You are to be blamed. What shall we drink? You know? Valid question, right? What shall we drink? And Moses cried out to the Lord, Help, Lord! I don't know what to do. The Lord showed him a log, a tree, throw it in. And then the water became sweet, fit for consumption. If only uh, we can produce new water this way, you know, it saves us a lot of time and money. <laughs> what was that tree? What was that log? So the lesson they need to learn here, that was the test, right? No water, they came to uh, Moses. The, the trust they needed to learn here is in verse 26. So the Lord said, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, and it's repeated again in, in you know, different words, same thing, and give ear to his commandments, which is like listen to the voice of the Lord, and keep all his touches, which is like doing what is right in his eyes. It's repeated. This way of doing it, using different words to repeat the same thing, is to emphasize a point. You know. Why is this point important? Because now Israel is under new management. You know. There was a new God, new Lord. Whatever rules they follow, whatever they, they, they you know, whatever regulation, it's going to be different. God is telling them, it's going to be different. You've got to listen to me now. I am the new Lord. I am the Lord. And then he gave two promises, or rather one promise, and he says, I will put none. If you will do this, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. So more precisely, what were these diseases? Ten plagues. Remember the story of the ten plagues? So, first of all, he's telling them that I am Yahweh and I am sovereign. You know. I can decide whom I put diseases on and whom I put none of these diseases on. So, he said, I'm a powerful God. So, you see what happened in Egypt? That's a reminder that I, I'm God. You know, I can do this. Secondly, he says, I am the Lord, your healer. And the word healer is a very special word. It means restorer. He restores what is lost. It means teacher, means binder. He binds up that which is broken. He teaches up that which is torn. And he's a redeemer. He redeems what has been taken from us. So he's a God who's able to turn and transform things just by the virtue of who he is. Okay, and you're going to see that God is not interested in just turning bitter water or bitter experiences into sweet. He's actually interested in turning, in turning bitter people who had bitter experiences into sweet people. So that, that's why he's saying, I'm your healer. I'm not the healer of the water. I'm your healer. I can do that easily, but I'm more interested in transforming people. And so to, uh, to embody that truth and to make it more explicit, he gave them the next thing, a treat, a retreat, a, a staycation. Look, verse 27, then, then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they encamped there by the water. So out of nowhere, right, from that Mara bitter experience, they came upon Elim. And Elim was full of life and water, almost like Eden, you know, a place where God dwelt with his people. And so he, he was telling them that if you want to continue with the blessing, you've got to continue following me. So what does the 12 uh, springs remind us of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 70 palm trees, the 70 that came out from Jacob's family into Egypt. So God is saying nobody will be left out, nobody will be missed out. You know, If you continue in your believing loyalty, I will always be there because I want to dwell with my people. You will always reap the benefits of my presence, even in the desert. So powerful is, is the Lord. And so what are some things that we need to learn? When we're coming out from that mentality into 
uh, the new, first thing we need to learn is we must be set free from the fear of scarcity. And most of us, when we have lived a life, right, perhaps as a, as a pre-believer, we will have, have experienced many things in, in this world that, that looked promising, you know. And it was like, well, that's going to, you look at it, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's something, you know. And you think, if I have that, I will be happy, you know. I will be happy, right? But pretty soon you find there are no free lunches. Pretty soon everything that seems to be good will live with the what? A bitter aftertaste, you know. And you find that at the end of all this is mara, is bitterness. And sometimes we bring that into our relationship with God and we forget that God is different. So with this fear of scarcity, eh, but that's not never enough. I've got to, you know, it's a dog eat dog. In Asia, it's men eat dogs. But, you know, we, we, we better grab, you know, because it's not enough. And we come into the kingdom of God feeling the same thing. You know, you still fear scarcity. But what did, what did uh, Paul say? He said, if anyone is in Christ, right, he's, he's not, no more the old. He's a new creation, yeah. right? The old has passed away. The old way of living old way of understanding life uh, is gone. The new has come. What is the new? That we, we are no more in the, in the realm of scarcity. We are now living with a God in whom is all our sufficiency. So you've got to realize that was the lesson. That Christ did not come just to uh, change bitter water into sweet water. He came to transform lives and make them completely different forever and ever. I am the Lord, your healer. So we need to learn to trust that God is both able and sufficient to do that for us and to set us free once and for all from the fear of scarcity. First lesson, okay? Second lesson, now they're moving on. The second lesson was at the wilderness of sin and this is what they needed to, to learn next. That not only was the Lord their healer, the Lord was their God. You know? I am the Lord, your God. Those of you watching, just write in there, God. Seems simple, right? I'm your God. So let's read. Chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. And this word Sin is not really Sin, and it's not, not English. It has to do with Sinai, right? so, okay. which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. By now, they were already four to six weeks post-Exodus. Okay? Verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the, this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So what's the test? Four to six weeks now, traveling in the wilderness. No GPS, huh? they don't know where they were going. And then food was slowly you know, finishing. You know. So it was a legit concern. And then there was no, what, neighborhood NTUC. No cold storage, fresh food people. So that, that was a legit. So they came out in force. The whole congregation now came to Moses and Aaron. And they complained, you know, if the Lord intended to kill us, it would have been better if he killed us when we were full, you know, in Egypt than now starving in the wilderness. So somehow in their mind, they were thinking, it's better to be a stuffed but dead Israelite than a starving living one outside. You know? Somehow they were thinking like that. Okay, so what did the Lord do? The Lord promised them. Verse 4. And then also he said some conditions. Listen to this. He said, then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So the promise they, they could have an all-you-can-eat buffet. Anything you desire, you just collect. You know? 
eat as much as you want. But two conditions. First condition, you cannot leave anything over. No leftovers for the morning because they, they, that will rot. But did they believe? Did they follow? Listen, verse 20. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. You know. So they couldn't follow this simple thing. Second thing, the Lord said, on the Sabbath, you cannot work. Now, Sabbath has not been instituted yet because the Ten Commandments hasn't come yet. So, but the Lord said, to honour, you know, because I created and then I rested. So on the Sabbath day, you shall do no work. But on the day before the Sabbath, you can collect two portions. And the second portion, you can leave for the next day, but it will not rot. So miraculously kept. Did they follow that? Look, verse 27, 28. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to, to gather, but they found none. Of course, none, because God said there will be none, you know. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? How long will you refuse? You know? Simple thing, you know, you can eat all you want, but you just have to abide by this. But they couldn't. So what was the lesson of trust? Verse 11 and 12. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So God was telling them, you can have the morning manna and the evening quail. And if you want to continue with my divine provision, you've got to learn who I am. You've got to get to know who I am, that I am God. You know? And I'm the Elohim of Elohim. I'm not like any other gods, not the gods of Egypt, totally different. I am a holy God. I am a distinctive God. And I want my people to be as distinctive and as holy as I am. So you've got to listen and obey. Okay, so then God set up a testimony for this so that they will remember. Verse 32, 34. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept, omer of the manna be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. Now this was also speaking something into the future when they would have a tabernacle and a temple. And the Ark of the Testimony, Ark of the Covenant, would be in the Holy of Holies. There were two items in this Ark. One was this jar of manna. And this jar of manna, the manna never got spoiled, no worms, kept miraculously to show something. What was the purpose of doing this? What was this? jar of manna for. It was to cure them, uh, cure Israel of a short-term memory. Because the Lord knows that once, now, now they have nothing, right? Once they enter in the promised land, once they cultivate, it was going to be a blessed, blessed place, right? And then they will grow prosperous. They will grow rich. They will go, grow up self, uh, they will be in, independent. And then they will forget God. They will forget that God blessed them and provided for them when they were nothing, when they had nothing. And it's easy too for us to forget after a while, right? So I want to ask you this question. Is the Lord your God? Is the Lord your God? Say, Pastor Shrela, I'm here. The Lord is my God. What kind of fundamental question is this? Okay, show me. Then you tell me, Pastor, 20 years ago, I was baptized here. 20 years ago. Okay, good. What about now? Oh, now I can still show you the, the, the certificate. It's still there. Or you tell me, Pastor, surely the Lord is my God. You know, I, 
I come regularly, I, I, I attend church online and on-site, you know, right? Or I, I belong to the grace group, or I'm in the ministry. That's not my question. My question is, is the Lord your God? Okay, maybe I clarify it. Jesus said in John 6, 48 to 51, Jesus said, eh, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died, you know. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So was Christ the original bread talk? Or the bread walk? <laughs> he, he could talk and walk at the same time. But he said, that was the bread your fathers ate, you know. But this bread, me, when you eat, you will never die. So when Jesus was tempted by the devil, right, in the wilderness, after 40 days of fasting, and, and tempted him to, to turn this rock into bread. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, let me clarify this question. Is the Lord your God? Are you living by his word? Or are you happy with the earthly satisfaction that bread, you know, whatever bread that is, uh, gives to you? And you're happy because you're full. You know, God has blessed your life. But I want to ask, is he your God today? Do you live by his word at all? Do you live by his word at all? Well, some of us are actually living, uh, or we call it not existing, but subsisting, you know, below level, on yesterday's manner, you know, on stale bread. You know. Okay, how many of you like to eat a full meal? on weekend. One full meal on Sunday, right? One full meal. You can have anything you want, eat a full meal. And then for the rest of the week, don't eat anything at all. How would you like that? You can't survive, right? You can't survive on one full meal on Sunday and nothing else. But some of us do that, right? We read the Word of God, we hear the Word of God once a week. And then for the rest of the week, oh, never mind, let's try, let's try, you know, it's okay. Let's. But you know, when, when the pandemic hits us, you notice that you don't have enough, you know? So some feel-good messages, some stale bread would not be able to sustain you or satisfy you in the long run. You don't have enough. You need the Word of God on a day-to-day basis. So my question is, is the Lord your God? What I mean is, do you have a vibrant, vital relationship with Him now, right now? Are you living by His Word or, you, you know, or you're easily satisfied by something else? I am the Lord your God. He tells Israel, live by my every word. The only way you can live is by my word. Amen? Okay? Is the Lord your God? Amen. Okay, we will pray if it's not. Third thing they need to, needed to learn. And they needed to, to learn this at Masa and Meribah. No, you know, they're just starting their journey. is how, you know, some of you, when you go for trips, right, holidays, and then you come back with all these pictures, Photos, right? And you line them up and you put in a book. You say, oh, on this day, I did this, this, you know? Because they're like your milestones. You remember them, your photos? How I wish for the, for the Israels, Israelites, right? They had a very nice picture. You know? But in the end, you notice every place that they are going, right? They are not like places of joy or celebration. Every place they're going are more and more sites uh, of discontent and grumbling. So it just got worse and worse. So where are they now? Chapter 17, verse 1, one, uh, one to 7. 
and the Lord wants to show them that He is God who is among them. I am the Lord who is among you. And those of you just type among, among you, among us. So the test is this, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Oh, it's the same record. You know, broken record playing again and again. But this time, the word, new word is used, quarrel. It's not just complain, it's not just grumble, it's quarrel. Now, quarrel is the next step already. You see the tone is now, instead of what to drink, now it's give me, it's more demanding. And they're getting aggressive, physically aggressive. They're ready to pounce on Moses and like the, you know, the, the term they use today, they were ready to cancel him. You know. So Moses said, look, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Yeah. So they've turned the tables. Instead of God testing them, now they're quicker. They want to test the Lord. So how did they test the Lord? Moses said, look, didn't you guys learn anything at all in the experience at, uh, experiences at uh, Mara, Elim, and wilderness of sin. Didn't you learn anything? Didn't you learn that God was able to provide you at any time? Right? Even in the middle of the desert, He can give you an oasis. Don't you know that He can do this? Why are you coming up again? So you're testing God. You're testing God. And so the lesson of trust they needed to learn, verse 4 to 6. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Now you can hear the voice of uh, a fear and desperation a bit more in Moses' uh, words. Verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So one thing that is different about this lesson, it was not just a lesson for the people of Israel. It was the lesson for Moses as well, you know. Will Moses do it before the people? Something similarly ridiculous to do, to go and strike a rock. What if you strike the rock and your staff breaks, nothing happens, you know? They, you know, they all laugh all the way to the bank. So, so it wasn't something that was easy to do. When you read it, it's, well, it's very easy, you know, because you know the water is going to come, correct? But God is really also testing Moses. Will you be my example you know, of somebody who is willing to take my word, no matter how strange it sounds, no matter how ridiculous it sounds, uh, and obey me. And I want the people to see that once you obey me, what I promise will happen. You know. So later on in this journey, Moses will be again uh, confronted with a similar incident. And there you will learn how his faith was again tested. But that's for another sermon, another message. So God said, okay, now there's another testimony. Not a testimony for, but a testimony against Israel. That every time in the Bible, these two words, Masa and Meribah, you'll always remember that was the place that they rebelled and quarreled against me and tested me. Okay, so verse 7. And he, called the, and he, and he meaning Moses, called the name of this place Masa, you know, Meribah. See, every, every town, every city, every location, the name has a purpose, correct? Singapore, you know what it means, correct? So Masa, every time they remember Masa, it means testing. In Maribah, it means quarreling. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? 
Is the Lord among us or not? That's a very innocent sounding question. They're not asking if God's presence is, is with them. Because they've been following the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. God's brilliant presence, the glory of God was always with them. So they were not saying, is his presence with us? And they were not doubting whether you know, he was able to deliver the power. He had done that before and he will do that. So when they ask this innocent question, seemingly innocent question, is the Lord among us? They're actually questioning something. They're actually doubting if God really can. You know, Doesn't God see us? Doesn't he know that we are thirsty, we are hungry? I mean, if he's among us, are you sure he's among us? If he's among us, he definitely would have done something for us. So it's one thing to say, right, that I don't believe in God. It's not a good thing. Lah. But if you say that, that's one thing. It's another thing to say that I believe in God nah, and he's not good. Do you know that's a very serious allegation against God? I believe in you, God, but I doubt that you're good. You know? I know you're here among us. We sang about that. You know? But I, I don't think you're a good God. You know? So that allegation was the thing that, that, was the, that was the test they brought before God. So at Masa and Maribah, Israel doubted God's goodness. So the question I want to ask you today, is the Lord with you? Is the Lord with you? Do you doubt His goodness? Do you doubt His love for you? Yeah, God, you're with me, but are you really for me? And whenever we doubt God's goodness, We've got a very ready uh, person next to us uh, who's going to like water that seed of doubt. He's very good at that. He's called Satan the tempter, you know. He said, doubt God, good. Yeah, he doesn't care for you, you know. He doesn't care. If he knows about your situation, he doesn't bother, you know. He's not, he's clueless. He's not clueless. He's careless. He's not careless. He doesn't care, you know. He doesn't care the pain you're going through. He doesn't care for the brokenness. He doesn't care for what you're going through. And that, that is what he will continue to do. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 1-4, my last verse, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, okay, he's talking to us, that our fathers, meaning the Israelites, were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So not only was Christ the, the bread from heaven, Christ was also the water from the rock. And that rock followed them all in their journey 40 years. So God never abandoned them. You know, he was always close by, near enough to answer their cries and to answer their requests. So if Yahweh was not swift to answer, it doesn't mean he, he did not care. It doesn't mean that he was not there. It meant that he had something bigger and better to accomplish in his people. Maybe to test their faith, to reveal their trust in him. And so what's the, the point here? The point here that God, if God is with you, right, it's because he is for you. If God is with you, it's because He is for you. It's not the other way now. It's not that God is for you because He is with you. He is with you because He's already for you. Amen. So is the Lord among you? Is the Lord your God? Is the Lord your healer? Amen. 
I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. But before I do that, I would like the, yeah, the worship team to lead us. You know, there are three groups of people that I'm concerned with today following from this message. There's some of you, you know, the last two years, no doubt, difficult years. And we don't know how long this is going to continue, right? And some of us have started to nurse a grumbling spirit in us. That's detrimental, you know, to our growth, to our discipleship. Once you have that spirit of grumbling, nothing will work, you know. Everything you will look with that lens and you say, ah, you know, no more. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Grumbling spirit. I want to pray that the Lord will heal you. That you will receive the Lord as your healer. That's the first group, right? The second group I'm concerned with, that those of you are subsisting on yesterday's manner. Yeah, the Lord has been good. Yes, you remember there, you know, years ago, how He spoke to you, how He helped you. But now you're just living off that. You, you don't have enough for tomorrow and who knows what happens in, in this coming week, right? But God is ready to give us a meal every day, you know, every day, a feast in His Word. Daily bread, give us. So I'm going to pray that you won't live like that anymore. You live currently with the Lord. And the third group I want to pray for that I'm concerned with, somehow you feel that God has abandoned you, you know, and you just, that doubt, you know, is there. You say, why is everybody else, you know, okay, but me, what about me, Lord? Have you passed me by? No, He hasn't. If He's with you, it's because He's for you. you know. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. Have a blessed day in Jesus.